Greetings to those who watch below. Today's video is going to be our monthly roundup of some of the best paranormal stories that I've found while doing my research. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership you can check out using the link in the description box. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B, Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, and Matthew Colgan. Also, if you haven't yet, please follow me on Instagram at brimstone underscore below, where I post little hints for what videos are coming up, as well as updates from my daily life. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, making sure you hit that notification bell so that you never miss a video. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. My Basement Has No Hole by CosJ314 There are some really, really messed up reasons to live in a haunted house, I, being of sound mind and body, don't know any of them, but am superstitious as all hell. So when the wife and I moved to New Hampshire, right on the Vermont border, we were looking for a place to rent for a year or two before we bought a house. Now, for all the New Englanders here, my wife is a native, I'm not. She's used to New England and the vast emptiness this small area has. There are places even she won't let me travel to after a certain hour, because that route you have to take people don't come back from. Of course I'm not a native so I don't know this, so I would come home late after dark from work and tell her I took X route. She would kind of look in shock and awe at my stupidity. We found a home right on the border on the Vermont side. We loved it, it was a fantastic place to live, except the basement. I could not shake the feeling of being watched and stalked, like prey. So like any reasonable adult, I just said fuck it and didn't go down there, except during the day. So one night, after gaming for hours in my loft office man cave, I got hungry, went downstairs, kissed the missus, and walked past the basement door toward my kitchen. I don't know if anyone listening to this has gone hunting, but there is a moment you sometimes experience, especially hunting predators like coyotes or wolves or bear. Sometimes they know you have them in your sights. Sometimes they look towards you, not quite at you, but it feels like they are boring into your soul, saying, you got me, make it quick. It's an eerie feeling, and sometimes you take the shot, sometimes you don't. On that night, as I was walking past that door downstairs, I saw red eyes and a humanoid figure, and I froze. I stopped dead in my fucking tracks. I gave it that same look of, you got me, make it quick. After that momentary lapse of sanity, I scooted real quick away from the door, grabbed a weapon and called my wife, saying that someone was downstairs and to call the police. There's no other entrance to the basement and I had the door covered with my weapon from a safe position where I could easily run from the house. The cops show up, I disarm, they clear the house. They find no person but a set of muddy footprints that start facing towards the stairs up that then proceed to walk into a wall in the back corner of the basement by the water heater. For some context, the wall in question also blocked off the area directly onto my bedroom. It was a solid wall with a small crawl space and about maybe four inches of clearance on the other side of it. Cops call detectives, detectives check it, but can't see anyone in it. They can't enter it. Photographs are taken, shoe sizes compared, my feet are too big and the wives are too small. We get a good contact number for the detective 
and the wife and I stayed at a hotel for a couple of nights. For months afterwards, I would always have the same happen, eventually minus the cops. It actually got relatively normal. Good old red eyes in the basement, chilling like a villain. The wife was always less infused by my antics, cheerfully just going about, and then I would spot red eyes. I would always give him a cheery, Good evening, how are you doing? Of which we would still have muddy footprints, and I would just clean them up. So, Covid hits, lockdowns happen, and we have an opportunity to move to a better house, one where we would be able to work at home better. The main reason the home was better was that we had a mould issue in this house. It was in between the panes of the glass in the windows. Every day we were cleaning it up from windowsills, door frames. Hell, we had to replace pieces of furniture multiple times. And we are very clean people. We notified the landlord over multiple months and eventually a year. And after their actions not helping at all, we decided to move. The landlord decided to get a housing inspector out there immediately after we left. The inspector comes and verifies there's a mould issue. I don't know if they met red eyes. However, they did found a metric ton of readings of high spore counts on the wall bordering the space below my old bedroom, the wall where the footprints always ended. So, since it was filled, the inspector scoops a little bit of the earth on the other side of the wall, through that crawl space. It wasn't earth as in dirt, it was approximately seven feet of mould. The landlord then immediately contacted specialists to remove all of it, and notified me to offer some kind of damages for it, in the form of refunded partial rent payments. All in all, it made my 2020 pretty good. Until about three months later, the landlord calls me, and offers to send me a full refund of all rent from the time I was living there, minus what she already gave. Why? There was a corpse. The medical examiner said it was the man who owned the property before my landlord, he was a lineman who, after talking to surviving family members, wore a size 8 shoe. Smaller than my size 11 shoes, but bigger than my wife's shoes by a mile. Fuck me, red eyes. I don't know how you got there. But hell, bud, I hope you now found peace. I'm sorry for not checking it out sooner. I did, after reading about his obituary and contacting his family, swing by to his final resting place to drop off flowers, place a stone and share a good morning like I used to. Till better times, red eyes. The Ghosts of NMMI by Dudester. In the fall semester of 1976, I received a magazine for incoming cadets at the New Mexico Military Institute. There was an article in the magazine boasting that the campus had as many as 38 ghosts on campus. It set a mind to wondering, how could a school have so many ghosts? What exactly happened there, that there were so many ghosts? Fast forward nine years. After high school and a six-year hitch in the Marines, I returned to my alma mater to attend junior college. After an article I wrote for the school paper received rave reviews, I was green-lighted to freelance stories for the paper. I decided that my first story would be to research all those ghosts. I asked around school administration and was told that the architect of five of the buildings on campus was still living, and was in town. I was told that if anyone knew, he did. I went to an old folks home. There I found a man in his eighties. His body was failing him, but his mind was sharp as a pin. He would say things like, I remember when I was given authorization on the building. 
It was May 22nd, 1920, at 2.38 in the afternoon. It turned out he was a fountain of information on the buildings and the history of the campus, but not much help on ghosts. Asking around, I was given the name of a local merchant, who was an alumnus. I went to see him. I decided that I would start with the most popular ghost story, the ghosts of Blood Tower. I should preface this by explaining what Blood Tower is. The tower referred to is a three-story tower on the front of the school gymnasium. It was intended to be an office area for coaches, but ended up just being storage. So when I asked the merchant about the ghosts of Blood Tower, his face lit up and he got a knowing smile on his face. He then explained that on every third Saturday morning, cadets had to face a rigorous uniform, room and wall locker inspection. Everyone that is, except for the athletes on the football and basketball teams. During the inspections, the athletes would hide in the tower. The science geeks decided to do something about it. The night before the inspection, the geeks snuck up in the tower and rigged up a series of booby traps. At eight the next morning, as the inspection started, the booby traps started going off. He didn't specify what the booby traps were, but he did use the word sheets, a record player with ghost sounds, and red paint. The booby traps worked so well that the athletes ran outside and right into the inspection party. Scratch one ghost. The next ghost on the list was the first sergeant who roamed the stoops of a certain barracks. The story went that either the first sergeant hung a cadet or the cadet hung the first sergeant. Since the story involved violence, I went to the campus police department. First off, they assured me that no murders had ever occurred on the campus. Second, they inquired of the police officer, who was the one and only campus policeman during the time. He relayed that a frightened cadet had reported the apparition, but to date, he was the only person to report the apparition over decades. Scratch another ghost. There was another ghost story involving the school natatorium. Up until the 1960s, indoor swimming pools were known as natatoriums. The natatorium ghost story came about as an accident from the 1940 school prom, otherwise known as Final Ball. The idea was to build a dancing platform around the pool. The theme of the party was Atlantis, City Under the Sea. Several cadets doing last-minute touches for the party had volunteered to place baskets of dry ice under the water. Dry ice is made up of frozen carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is heavier than air. The dry ice vapour that bubbled up went to the pool surface and stayed there. When the cadets surfaced for air, they received instead a lung full of carbon dioxide and were asphyxiated. The ghost story was that years and decades later, fresh wet footprints could be found coming from the pool. In the early 80s, a new pool was built for the school. The old pool was filled in, and a museum now inhabits the building. Scratch another ghost. The next ghost story involved a tragedy at the school. At one time, polo was a well-attended event there. During a polo game, three cadets had died, involving collisions of horses in the middle of the field. To memorialise the tragedy, a bell tower was built. It stands 15 feet tall, and has an old locomotive bell on top. The architect told me that the bell was salvaged from a wrecked Santa Fe steam locomotive. The story goes that when the bell is heard ringing, a cadet will die the next day. I can confirm that twice while attending school there, there were incidents. Cadets quartered near the bell reported it ringing the night before, 
Hours later, someone was dead. Needless to say, the tower is paid great respect. The next ghost on the list involves the school auditorium. Built as a WPA project in the 1930s, it is a grand theatre in the Art Deco School of Design. The story mainly involves this troublesome seat on the first floor. Because the seat is located under the rim of the balcony, I don't have to tell you what the story is, but to reiterate that no murders ever took place there. Still, there is the issue with the seat. I went to see the head of maintenance. When I first asked him about the seat, he became uncomfortable, then relayed it was because his workers are genuinely spooked by the seat. Time and time again, the seat has been repaired, only to end up on the floor the next morning. He even showed me a stack of work orders on that seat alone, repaired, and on the floor the next morning. The campus police are required to walk all the buildings on campus. During my junior college years, the campus police were all military vets, with other types of police experience in their backgrounds. On the auditorium, they would come in the front lobby and chain the doors from within. Then they would move to a side door and lock that. Going outside, they would move to the back and chain the exterior doors shut from the outside. Because the building spooked the police officers so bad, they didn't bother with the backstage area or the catacombs under the stage. There is another building on campus that spooks the police officers. It is where I started the story, the gymnasium. Two of the officers there relayed this story. Officer one stayed at the front doors, where he had a clear view of the basketball court. Officer two entered the floor, walked it, and went down the back stairs and into the basement to check the locker rooms. While he was in the basement, Officer two called Officer one, asking who was walking the main floor. One assured two that no one was walking on the main floor. Two then beat feet out of the building. Like the auditorium, it's chained from the outside. So we started with 38 ghost stories and have cut it down to three. Perhaps one of the ghosts is pulling double or triple duty. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. My Skinwalker Experience by Xander101 This happened somewhere between 1997 and 1999. I was in my late teens and we were living in New Mexico up near the Four Corners. My parents were pastors at a local church in a very small town. We had lived outside of town, sort of in the middle of nowhere, and there were a few houses sprinkled around us. There was some brush and a lot of desert. Ever since we moved there, the locals told us about skinwalkers. Even people in the church warned us about them. One guy in the church swore up and down that when he was a truck driver, he saw a skinwalker in its human form, running alongside his truck when he was going about 80 miles per hour. But since I didn't witness it, I just took him at his word. I've heard many tales on the origins of the skinwalkers, both from the locals and the Native Americans. There was a Native American who went to our church, who still held on to his Navajo beliefs, who told me what I always assumed 
to be a more accurate description. He told me when people of his tribe had a child out of incest, the tribal leaders took the baby out into the desert to be raised by wolves. The wolves would raise it and they would become skinwalkers, having the powers to turn into anything. The story fascinated me. He just seemed to know for sure that this was the accurate tale. Then he told me to never whistle at night, which I thought was pretty weird, but I never did, until one night. It was in the fall, around 11 at night. I was in my bedroom, which was the furthest room from anyone in the house and near the garage. I was watching TV or playing on the PlayStation. My mother was in her bedroom. My dad was at the church studying, as he always did till around midnight. My brother had a friend over that night, and they were going to spend the night on the back patio, which was a long rectangular room with screen windows all down it. Like I said, I was in my bedroom minding my own business, when my brother and his friend come banging on my door. Annoyed, I open the door, and my brother, who's four years younger than me, and his friend are both frightened. My brother said they were in the patio goofing off when they heard somebody walking around the backyard and saw what looked to be the top of a white bald head walk by the screen windows. Now, normally, I would believe my brother since he would never make this kind of stuff up. But his friend was a huge liar and he had told tall tales about having been to Mars and things like that. Of course, by this time I'd experienced a lot of paranormal stuff, but I was still sceptical. Bravely and annoyed, I grabbed my jacket and a flashlight, and the three of us went out to the patio. It was always creepy at night, because it was always so dark, and the only light came from a nearby lamppost a few yards down the street. Our backyard was insanely small, except for the right-hand side of it, which was a bit bigger, but held a trampoline which took up the better part of it. We stepped out of the patio, my flashlight shining around the yard, but saw nothing. That was when I started hearing the crunching of leaves coming from the front yard. So the three of us went through the back gate to the front yard. Now, our front yard was huge and had roughly nine apple trees. There was even a large creepy tree in the corner of the yard near the street that I always stayed clear of for some reason. We had a close neighbour, literally on the other side of the wooden fence. It was a nice family that had a daughter about my brother's age and they also had a bunch of chickens and sometimes they would wander into our yard, so that is what I thought was walking around our front yard. Shining the flashlight around, of course I couldn't see any chickens, but I did see something white walk behind a tree near the wooden fence. That was when I got very curious. The three of us walked slowly to the tree. I was being the protective big brother and kept the other two behind me. Before I knew it, I heard a loud whoosh and felt a gust of wind like something flew by us. My brother screamed out in pain. My brother always had his shirt off, which annoyed me because back then I was overweight and very self-conscious. But I noticed on his chest, he had three long scratches across him. Scared and shocked, my brother ran back inside the house, leaving me and his friend. It all happened so quickly, but I ran towards the street, where I was sure whatever it was had gone. His friend close behind me, once we reached the end of our property, I could hear the sound of bare feet running down the paved road. I shined my light towards the sound, but never saw anything. So I whistled some tune, and from down the road I heard the same tune whistle back to me. Intrigued, I whistled again, this time a different tune, 
Then again, the same tune was whistled back. My brother's friend started getting scared and was trying to get me go back inside, but I was very intrigued. I whistled for a third time, and that was when, very close by, we both heard a male voice say, Hey kid, come here. There was no hesitation. The two of us bolted back inside. I went to go tell my mother what happened, and she was already frightened because she was tending to my brother's scratches on his chest. We told her what had happened, and my mother told us to stay inside. My mother has had some pretty scary paranormal encounters before, so she believed us. I have never forgotten that encounter. My brother brushes it off these days, making it out to not be a big deal, but I know differently, as does my mother. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's story. I really, really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, making sure to hit that notification bell. If you have a personal experience that you'd like to share, also feel free to send me an email. It's down in the description box. So, until next time, sleep tight. <laughs>